0: Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall.
1: What's up, man? Oh, not much, Joel. Just in that October lull that um, teachers talk about a lot where, man, every day you wake up. I'm at school before the sun comes up every day, and it is, it is just a, the October grind is is upon us. So um, trying to keep everything exciting, watching a lot of sports, trying to get through October. And then uh, once November hits, we're rocking and rolling, man. So. Um, things are good. Things are slow right now, but things are good.
0: Yeah. October is I feel like people don't talk about how great of a sports month October is. Like you have postseason baseball, you know, fall, you know, World Series coming up here soon. College football's in full swing. The NFL's in full swing. NHL started last night. The NBA starts in like two weeks, and college basketball starts at the end of the month. So It's a great time to be a sports fan, and uh, I'm loving it. I I have stuff to watch just about every night, and it doesn't have to be. It's not baseball every night, which uh, you know I love baseball, but being able to turn on a you know Thursday night football game or you know any sort of go from postseason baseball to college football to the NFL on Sunday, it's a it's a great time.
1: Yeah, I don't remember the exact teams of the Chiefs that were really good um, pre Patrick Mahomes. It feels like pre. Set 2017 Chiefs are just kind of a blur that all run together at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I remember back in 2014 when the Royals made that wild card game and then inevitably the playoffs. Mizzou was coming off of an SEC championship game appearance, about to go back. Did they go back to back. Yeah, they went. They go, go back, back to back, back SEC championship appearances. The Royals are making the playoffs. The Chiefs you know, were pretty good. Um, it was definitely the Andy Reid era, so. You know that was a that was like a glory days of, of being a sports fan in this in this kind of area of Kansas City if you're a Mizzou fan. And um, like you said, it's it's so busy. There's so many cool things going on that um it, it really is a unique time, especially not just that it's a unique time in and of itself, but you're coming off of a summer where it's just baseball, right? All we have all summer, and I, I say all we have, it's every night, but all we have all summer for the most part is Major League Baseball, and then to go from having just major league baseball to two different major football leagues. And like you said, basketball coming up and hockey, um, great time to be a sports fan. And it, and it fills in a really specific role of filling kind of this dead period. That is the rest of life.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. No doubt about it. It was, it was cool last night. So I'm a, like a, you know, I'm a hockey fan. I'm not going to say that I'm an expert or anything, but I love watching the sport. It's super fun. Um, and I talk about, you know, my affinity for the Seattle teams, you know, the Mariners, I like the Seahawks, but I'm more chiefs than Seahawks. But last night, the Seattle Kraken, which I think is one of the best mascots in all of professional sports made their and played their inaugural game last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I think they played their first home game in Seattle here next Saturday. Uh, really cool time. And I, and, again those uniforms the mascot everything just fantastic and it was kind of it was cool to watch that last night and see one of my favorite cities you know get get their uh, get their professional hockey team
1: you know i was never nobody in my family is a hockey fan so growing up i never watched a lot of hockey and then i remember when sydney cross became on the scene and kind of took hockey by storm i just remember being more in tune with hockey and then there was the year Man, I don't even remember what year it was. It feels like 07, but that that could be way off. Um, Sidney Crosby and the Detroit Red Wings met in the NHL Stanley Cup right before they redid reconfigured the leagues. So it was Stan, uh, Sidney Crosby versus the Detroit Red Wings, and I tuned in for that. And I honestly don't even remember who won at this point. I f- I think Sidney Crosby and the in the Pittsburgh Penguins won. Um, so right at the end of Game Seven. I remember, the Penguins are up four to three, and Detroit got what felt like a hundred shots on goal in the final forty seconds. And that was the first hockey game I'd watched from front to finish. Was it was again game seven? the The Penguins win four to three in the final in game seven. But it, it, seriously, it felt like Detroit was a, in an all out onslaught when the final like minute to score that final goal and they never did obviously. And I remember thinking like, damn, okay, hockey, like (laughs) you got a fan in me, like I'm all in. And and even today I I can't watch hockey live on TV. I'm sorry. I can't watch hockey on TV. Like it's, it's fine, but it's like soccer to me where watching the game in person, you get a better feel for the athleticism and the maneuvering of the players on the ice or on the, on the pitch. Um, So I don't, I can't watch those games on TV very well, but I do really appreciate, watching hockey live. I think hockey might be like the most underrated group of athletes in the world where you're, you're skating around, trying to avoid getting your head taken off. You have to be able to fist fight. So you got to be a boxer, a skater, and like a pretty good athlete with your hands. So, um, yeah, just an incredible group of athletes that I've got a lot of respect for and, um, kind of excited for, we get we got the Missouri Mavericks here locally. So I go maybe a game of year, go go up there and, and bang on the, on the glass and try to instigate a fight. It's like, he said your wife's ugly. So so said I can't instigate something stupid because, um, again, that's like, that's like the best part of hockey. Oh, Why yeah. don't other sports have that, Joel? Can you imagine, Joel, really quick, if minor league baseball implemented like a five-out penalty, like if you can get in a fight, but you got to go sit in the dugout for five outs. Like, so here comes – so Aaron Judge gets hit with a ball – he charges the mound, and he and Nate a- avaldi throw down, right? And eventually, one of them hits the ground. The umpires pull them off each other. Both benches sit in the dugouts like men because it's not a group fight. This is mano a mano. And then Nate avaldi has to go out of the game for five for five outs. Aaron Judge has to go sit out for five outs. And I don't know what that looks like for two different players, but whatever. Um, and we just let him duke it out right there in front of everybody. I think that would be you talk about like all these rules they're experimenting with experiment with fighting in the Atlantic league, legalize fighting, quit moving the mound back, legalize the fighting, and then bring that to minor league baseball. And let's see if we can push it all the way to the top.
0: So Dallas Braden, uh, starting nine podcast and, uh, works, you know, color commentator and such for the Oakland days. He's been on this for like three years. That's, that's been his thing. Like you talk about the game policing itself. That's how you do it. You want to go and plunk a dude, because he showed up, whoever, fine, do it. But you got to own up to it. And you have a 30 second window where you want to fight. All right, let's go fight. You duke it out. And then you just go back to the mound. You go to first base and we move on with our lives. That's how you police the game. That's how hockey polices itself. You, you mess with one of my teammates. Okay, I'm going to go and knock your brains out real quick. All right, let's go fight. Okay, cool. Drop gloves, go fight. And everyone moves on.
1: If that was a thing, Kyle Farnsworth might still have a job in baseball as a goon. Like, Kyle Farnsworth would be, like, the guy in the bullpen who still throws, like, 92 because he's a freak. Um, But he's not a good pitcher. But he's a 26th man on the roster because he sits out there. Because if you ever need him to fight somebody, you need to bring in Kyle Farnsworth. Bring him in and out of the bullpen. You, everybody knows. It's kind of like when Kelvin Herrera came in to pitch against uh Brett Lowry. Oh, yeah. Back in, like, was that 2014, 2015? I think that was um,
0: 16. <clears throat> that was 16 when – uh he took out Laurie. Took out Escobar at short, and then two days later, puts ninety nine behind his at, behind his back.
1: Well, and it was like, was it Ventura who put one oh two behind him and or hit him with one oh two or something like that. It was like the hardest that, pitch Ventura yeah. had thrown all year. That was outstanding, man. Absolutely outstanding. Um, but yeah, like that happened earlier this year to Michael Massey. Uh, it was like the, it was like opening day. Um, Cole Roeder. How do you pronounce that guy's name? goes into second base and he doesn't just slide high. He takes his cleats from the air and like swipes down at Massey's arm. Like I know that there's people who are like, oh, there's never a reason to throw at anybody. It's like, well, maybe there's a reason. Like sometimes there's a reason. You go in spikes high and, and cleat the arm, not like the leg. You got to have your cleats up pretty high to get somebody's arm. Uh, You go in spikes high and, and, and swipe at somebody's arm like that. You deserve 95 in the rib cage. Like you deserve it, right? Maybe in the butt, just put it on the booty. Um, make it a little bit uncomfortable. To walk down the dugout steps when it gets back. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Bring fighting to minor league baseball. I'm all for it.
0: I'm, I know. I'm, I'm absolutely okay with that. Man, this we, we got off on a tangent real quick there, but hey, this, that's what off season pods are for is for conversations like this. And, you know, for those of you listening here, you know we we don't have a ton of true baseball stuff to talk about other than a lot of just speculation maybe whatever off news comes about but uh it's not going to be like the the podcast you heard during the regular season so whatever you guys want to hear let us know uh go on our our website comment on the the article that this uh podcast is linked to tweet at us at royals farm comment on that go like us on facebook comment there let us know what you guys want to hear, and we'll, we'll tailor episodes to what you guys want to hear, you know, baseball off-season content. It doesn't have to be minor league specific. We can just talk about, if you guys just want to hear us talk about baseball in general and what we want to see in 2022 for pick a player, like, cool, let's do it. I'm, I'm down to, I'm, I'm talking about baseball 99% of the time, even during football season, basketball season, and I know Alex is kind of the same way, so uh, it'll still be a good outlet for us to talk about baseball, but let us know what what you guys want to hear, and we'll uh, we'll see if we can make that happen. There still is minor league baseball technically happening right now in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, they, you know, th- this is the first day with games We're recording on Wednesday, first day with games in like 719 days because there was no Fall League last year. Uh, so it's it's a good opportunity for top prospects or, or guys to just get some extra get some extra looks. And the Royals have, I believe, three or four guys on the uh, Surprise Suaros, uh, one of the six teams in the league. Uh, Asa Lacey, Sully Matias, uh, Jake Means, and Nate Eaton are the four guys that are representing the Royals on that roster. And for those that don't know, every there are six teams in the league, and every and five teams collaborate basically to get a roster. I'm not sure what the other teams are uh, for the Suaros, but I know that uh, those four guys are uh, based out of the Royals.
1: Yeah, we had a question on Twitter today. Somebody asked about the the competition level that exists in the Arizona Fall League. Like this is not like a minor league all-star team exactly. I mean, no offense to, I mean, Jake Means is down there, right? Jake Means is a fringe prospect, decent plate discipline, decent power, a little bit old for the level. Um, This is a group of prospects that are in what we call prospect finishing school. So basically you send a guy like Sully Matias down there. Um, Sully Matias is on the verge of like, having to be on the 40 man roster and he was at double a needs to be in triple a like kind of you know in this fringe territory of are you a legitimate prospect that can help us in the big leagues or do we maybe need to look elsewhere you have guys like asa lacy who missed a lot of the season um alec marsh another top end prospect was at double a who missed most of the season we kind of thought would be like a candidate to go down there. So you're talking about some top prospects that for whatever, like Spencer Torkelson, he played all year. He just goes down there to see some more pitching, get some more at bats, work on something so that we can call him up early on in 2022. So this is a excellent grouping of talent that is there to kind of finish off some things um, to really put themselves um close to a 40 man roster next spring at some point. So, um, a lot of different reasons, guys, go down the Arizona Fall League, but it's a really nice collection of talent.
0: Yeah, and I think so, some of the other bigger names that are there right now. I think uh, Marco Luciano, top guy for the uh, the Giants, uh, Mackenzie Gore, who has been really up and down. You know, with you know coming in with some of the, the pedigree that he had uh, coming out of the draft. Uh, but it was good to see. Apparently, he had a really good outing today, so that's encouraging. I think Slade uh, Sashone, Nick Gonzalez. Uh, So there's some, there's some decent guys down there. I know like guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. and some other guys that have gone down there in the past. Uh, So sometimes you'll get some big names, but for the most part, it's just to get guys more opportunity at bats. And I'm glad to see Asa Lacey healthy. We weren't necessarily expecting to see him again until spring of 22, uh, but to see him healthy, get a couple innings uh, today punch out four. Velo was solid. Uh, The control was, you know, decent for what we've seen. And obviously the stuff speaks for itself. Uh, But it's super encouraging to hear these coming back. I don't expect him to throw a ton of innings there, but to get more opportunity uh, for him to get some at bats against the professional hitters, that's going to be really important for 22.
1: Yeah. And I've seen a couple of guys like I don't want to name names because I don't remember who specifically said it, but a few guys who've been writing about the Royals for a while um, in the Royals blogosphere, talking about the potential of Ace Lacey pitching in the big leagues this year. Well, typically, if you think about a pitcher who was in his first professional season through right around 45, 50 innings at high A and had some serious walk issues, like – you wouldn't be thinking about that pitcher as potentially being in the big leagues, but that's how good Lacey's stuff is. That he struck out the whole world at hiatus this past summer, and now goes down the Arizona Fall League against some of the better hitters um, that you're going to find. Strikes out four in two innings. Like the stuff is ridiculous. I don't. I really don't know that a Royals pitcher has had stuff like this since, like a starting pitcher since. Man, I don't want to go back as far as Granky, but I don't remember a starting pitching prospect having stuff like this. Like Duffy had some crazy stuff, Ventura had some crazy stuff, but they, even they didn't strike out guys like Lacey's striking guys out. So part of that is an age thing. Part of that has been, you know, he pitched in the SEC. So there's a little bit to that. But my goodness gracious, man, Lacey's stuff is incredible.
0: And I think we I don't know if we ever put anything out about it on Twitter or even talked about it on the podcast, but he feels like a Blake Snell type where the control is never he's not an elite command guy you can probably run him out there for five innings but it's gonna be five of the most disgusting innings you're ever going to see because the stuff is just it's insane and Blake Snell is not a pitch efficient guy at all but he'll go out there and throw five and a third with nine or ten strikeouts and three walks and two runs and you take that because the stuff is just that good and I feel like Lacey can be that type of guy I'm I I hope he can be a starter, uh, but that's going to be a nasty bullpen piece if if nothing else. And if that's where his ceiling takes him, that's going to be just fine for the Royals because that's going to have a huge impact on some of the teams that we hope are competitive in the next couple of years. And if he can be just as dominant as he was uh, punching out the world in Double A, we're looking at a really good opportunity for him to be part of the next wave of pitchers that that come up after, you know, we've seen Coar and Lynch and Bubich and Heasley and Singer are all up in the big leagues now. There's going to be another wave coming, and if Lacy's at the forefront of that, then the Royals are, are set up pretty nicely there.
1: Yeah, I was looking at this earlier today. Like, if if Lacy goes out there and really dominates the fall league like he did today, if he throws twenty five ish innings and, and is similar in some capacity to this, you look at the Royals' top four or five prospects heading into 2022. You've talking about Bobby Witt Jr top 100 I mean, top five prospect in baseball
0: number one probably number near, one near, exactly. i mean
1: there's there there are people who would argue that i mean and so you're talking about potentially the best prospect in baseball mj melendez potentially top three or four catching prospect in baseball nick prado top 100 back in top 100 prospect in my opinion asa lacy who's got the stuff of a top 50 prospect in baseball like all these pitchers who are already in kansas city and you have Probably the highest ceilings are still behind them. Like even Alec Marsh has a higher ceiling than a lot of what we've already seen in the big leagues. And Jonathan Bolin was electric at double. I, we mentioned Jonathan Bolin on the podcast and you know, the season he had, I know it was short, dude. I went down there and saw him in Springfield and for that inning that he was out there, I was like, who the hell is this? Like Jonathan Bolin, 97. And he, he's always dotted up. Like he's always had really good command, probably the best command of any of these Royals pitching prospects, almost definitely the best command of any of these Royals pitching prospects. He was 97 on the corner. I was just like, my gosh, man, like this guy is, this guy is about to blow up. And I was, you know, sitting there with my wife and my wife is an angel. She'll, she'll sit there and listen to me talk about baseball and just nod along and support. And she understands enough. And sometimes that, you know, there's stuff I, that I will just think out loud. Like I'm I'm just kind of processing through myself. And um, part of my process is, is talking, even though nobody's listening. And she just sits there and nods along. And I remember saying to her something to the effect of literally, <laughs> maybe, I may have jinxed it looking back on it, but I said something to the effect of it. This kid stays healthy. He's going to be in the big league sooner rather than later. Like it's just incredible how good bowling stuff looked. And maybe that was part of that was a, a precursor to, blowing his ucl i know there's speculation and you know happened to me personally where right before your ucl goes your stuff is the best it's ever been so maybe that was part of it i don't i don't know but Bolin looked like he could legitimately be one of the best of the bunch um in that outing so we've already seen a wave of these prospects get to the big leagues with kyle isbell even and now there's the best of the best are behind them which is funny to think about but it sets up a really good position for the royals to be in especially given that they have they have some money they could legitimately spend this off season, which man, I, I just think we, we, uh, on the Royals review radio podcast, we had the beat writers on and they kind of joked with me about, you know, my optimism, they might make a big move this off season. And I'm sitting here thinking, why not? You've already had one wave show up. You got another wave right behind them. Go meet them in the middle with a, with a big time bat or a big time arm and see what you can make of it. Like, not that this team needs to make the playoffs this year, but like. If, if you can get all this talent in the same place together with a, with a true semi-star um, to throw in there with the middle of them, man, this team could be really exciting and just a lot of fun to watch.
0: Well, and I'm not going to advocate for a trade, but you also have a lot of pieces that you can throw together and get a guy, you know, I, I know the Andrew Benintendi trade is what it is. Um, I thought it was a good move at the time and you had the pieces to to go and do it and you still do. You still have the bullets to go and make a, a move for a guy. And I don't know who that guy could be. It could be a frontline starter. You can go and try and get that middle of the order bat with a couple of years of control and have and still have a top five to seven system in baseball. That, that's how deep the Royal system is right now. And so the, the offseason is gonna be really interesting and see how they play it out. I I hope they make some kind of move and not a aging pick a, position for one year at nine million and nine and a half million like go go and just if you want to compete and you want to win now you got to fork up the money for one and I think Sherman has a willingness to do that I think we I think at least even though I don't I don't think that the free agent deals they made for some of the older guys like Mike Miner and Carl Santana worked out that it tells me at least there's a willingness to spend and this was kind of dipping your toe in the water to see what you can handle I think there's going to be an opportunity for that. I just don't know what that opportunity looks like right now, but I'm very fascinated for what the offseason looks like for the Royals. Cause I think there's, they have the opportunity to go and make a move like that, but they also could make a trade because they have the, such a depth of pitching prospects and even hitters at this point now that they could go and, and you know, put, fish out there and see what, see what comes back.
1: Yeah, I was, you mentioned the, like the the middling prospect or the middling one year, $9 million free agent signing. I was thinking about this earlier today as we were kind of was thinking through what we're going to talk about tonight. I mentioned last week on the on that podcast, I was talking about the Royals Review Radio one that I thought this could be a good off season to make a big splash. Now, ironically, this is not a great off season with, guys that you would normally associate with the Royals. Um, Trevor Story's out there, Starling Marte. Typically, traditionally, we're not thinking the Royals are going to go get those guys, but they're available if you wanted to, right? So what I would rather them do is, is you typically have three options. You have option number one where you don't do anything, which is fine. You have option number two where you kind of do what you did last year, sign a couple middling free agents, Trade for Benintendi. So you have Benintendi, Miner, Santana that all come in and just kind of hold the team together so they can be decent while the young guys are getting their feet wet. Then you can have option three where you just go and blow it out of the water, bring in the the biggest free agents and trade acquisitions you can find and really see what this team can do in 2022. You got to be option one or three. It can't be option two like you just said. Don't You cannot go sign another Mike Miner, Carlos Santana. Like this is... You can It's just unnecessary. You don't need to, you have the prospects coming. Either let all the kids play or get somebody who's so good that you can't resist adding them to your lineup in the first place. I'm with you. I don't want to see them go sign the next Santana, the next minor. If you're going to sign somebody, go get Starling Marte or Trevor story. I don't care. We'll find a place for me. You can hit, um, right? So go, go get a big impactful acquisition like that, or. Don't do anything and just let all of your kids play all year and just see what happens. I think that's probably not the smartest um, move they can make because you're better off trading some of your, some of your stock before it goes down. So trade some of it now, get maybe like, this is the off season for me to go make the big move, but if you're not going to make the big move, just don't make any and let all the kids play for all 2022 I think that would be an insanely cool um, season of baseball to watch with just prospect after prospect, after prospect, after prospect, after prospect making their debuts and contributing on the big league team.
0: Yeah. It, it kind of goes there. The analogy, you know, you have when it talks about like mediocrity and you don't want to be in that space. is like, you either want to be the Ritz Carlton or the Motel six. You don't want to be in between. Like at that point, you kind of know what you are. Right. And honestly, and I I I you I could be crazy for saying this, but honestly, if the Royals want to be the Motel 6 and not do anything, and they just want to let their prospects come up and go full youth movement, we're going to let our guys learn, and they're going to learn how to win together at the big league level, I'm fine. I'm, I'm almost okay with that because it's going to help them in the long run. And honestly, do you think a lineup with, say, a Vinny Pasquantino, Nicky Lopez, Whit, somewhere in there, but Bobby Wood Jr., Nicky Lopez, MJ Melendez, Big Prado in there, Kyle Lispel. You don't think maybe that team can be better than what we saw this year at times?
1: I, I don't know how it could be too much worse. Like, especially yeah, like, I, if you expect, like, normal regression to the mean from Hunter Dozier and Carlos Santana, I don't know how this team, like, I don't know how that team could be worse. Like, especially with all the at-bats you gave to, you know, a bad Hunter Dozier this year, to a bad Ryan O'Hearn, to a bad Carlos Santana for much of the year. Um, like, I don't know how this team could be that much worse. Like, I don't know where, like, I, who was it again? There, I, I, I follow so many of these, these guys that ride about the Royals and I never can keep them their work separate. Somebody was talking about just the, like trimming the fat and like getting rid of the negative war players. Like if we can just get some kind of positive regression from Dozier, Santana, um, and Ben Attendee, which he was fine for two thirds of the season, there was a, a third where he got hurt and he came back, he was awful for a bit. And then he was he was pretty good at the very beginning and end. So whatever that looks like, um, this team was going to be better just by the nature of, I mean, some of these guys couldn't have been a whole lot worse. And you're also going to get some potential regression from Salvi and Nikki Lopez. Um, but really, if you look at this lineup, like who outperformed their expectations? It's just those two, like outside of Nikki Lopez and Salvador Perez. Like, which two guys can you look at and go, man, they were way better than we can expect them to be in 2022. It's not very many guys. So um, I think this team could be better just as they are. Maybe a game, like, two, three wins better, and then you add in a guy like Bobby Wood Jr., add in an MJ Melendez, and you just keep these guys coming. You add one big bat, man. This team could be a lot of fun next year.
0: Yeah, and I'm just so – like, we're going to talk about it all offseason because I think by – June at the latest we're going to see the top 3 dudes you know and Prado Melendez and and Bobby up in the big leagues in that order and just continuing to hit and and producing and I'm so excited for Kansas City not just the organization because I think it's an injection that I didn't think outside of Bobby Wood Jr that I don't think they thought they were going to have in 2022 but just for Royals fans too to have a little bit of hope right like it's been so bad since Twenty, see, I because I think 20 uh, 2017 was. I mean, no, they were eighty and eighty two, whatever. But you know, since twenty eighteen, it's just been awful and a, a bad brand of baseball for most of it. And I am so excited to start to see the pendulum swing the other way. At least I hope that the pendulum's going to swing the other way. Otherwise, man, what are we doing here? But the the guys that are coming up are almost too good for that to happen. And the amount of winning and success they've had at the minor league level. It's an infectious thing. Baseball is just one of those sports that success just builds on itself for the most part. And because it's just such a damn hard game. And I, I can't wait to see what these guys do, because I think there's a lot of winning winning coming very soon.
1: Yeah. I think one you, you mentioned the winning in the minors, it was such an interesting thing that I'd, I'd never considered um, that Michael Massey said. So like I was, you know, I was lucky the high school team that I grew up with, we had just a crazy group of kids that were, you know, pretty talented. Um, and just, it was just, it was just a random collection of pretty good players. We had a kid go to Missouri state, um, a UCM. We had a Crowder, like, I think like eight or nine of us ended up going on to play college baseball. So, that summer we had a lot of success playing Legion ball and at UCM I was, a, you know, the team went to the world series, my junior year. Like I was, I was a part of these teams and I never really considered the, the idea that, you know, there are a, probably a ton of minor league baseball players who went to high school college and then in the minors and were never a part of like a state championship team or a college world series team. And they made, like Michael Massey was saying, I mean, he he said it. It's like my high school team wasn't very good, and no disrespect. to Illinois, we weren't very good. And so for him to get to experience, you know, that Burlington team that got second place in the Appalachian League, and then in high A, they go out and win the, the high A central, that's the first bit of, like, pressure baseball he's probably ever played in. You talk about like a guy like Will Klein. He said that he echoed the exact same thing. Not a lot in high school at Eastern Illinois. They weren't very good. That high A central championship game or that he pitched in game six, probably the most pressure he's ever pitched in. And so learning to pitch in pressure, learning to hit in pressure and learning how to deal with high pressure, high intensity situations with a championship on the line is legitimately something I'd never really considered. So. Um, it was cool that they were able to talk about that on our podcast and, and just kind of echo the idea that winning in the minor leagues is important. And now that we've seen that, I agree with you. It's more likely that we'll continue to see that at the big league level because they've been there. They've done that. They know what it takes. They know what it looks like. And they can go out there and just keep doing it.
0: So one thing I thought of going back to kind of where we started this conversation, talking about the, the Arizona Fall League with a guy like Sully Matias what do you think is reasonable expectation for what we could see from him and go one way or the other where okay is he going to you know sneak his way onto a 40 man here soon or are we just looking at a you know double a Joey Gallo you know like at what point do you think we see like what do you want to see from him i guess to give you some sort of hope going into 22 that he can kind of continue the some of the trends that we've seen
1: I think the thing I want to see is just keep hitting for elite power because at some point you just got to accept that the strikeouts are going to be what they are. Um, And so when I look at a guy like Suli Matias, I'm thinking of, you know, can you be Miguel Sano? Miguel Sano this year hit 30 home runs for the Twins. He struck out 35% of the time almost, only on base at a 312 clip but that's 10% above league average offensively. And you've provided 30 home runs for your team. Um, I look at a guy like Javi Baez, 31 home runs, 34% strikeout rate, just a 319 on base, 16% above league average because he's hitting for so much power. Um, Adam Duvall, 38 home runs this year for the Atlanta Braves and I think the Cincinnati Reds struck out 32% of the time, still a league average hitter. so I mean, there there are examples of guys who strike out a ton, but hit for so much power that it just doesn't it doesn't kill them. Like they can hit for so many for so much power at any point in time, the ball could leave the yard. Can Sully Matias be that? Can you be Miguel Sano? Can you hit 30 home runs even if you're striking out almost 40 percent of the time? Because if you can do that, there is a spot for you in the big leagues. It may not be the cleanup hitter on a playoff team. But you can come off the bench for a playoff team. You can hit eight for a playoff team. You can you can be a part of a successful big league club doing stuff like that. So, I actually think that it's interesting he's in the fall league because a the Royals need to get him some more at bats. B keep letting him play baseball, maybe under the guidance of Drew Sailor. I, I haven't I haven't talked to anybody. I don't know that Drew Saylor is in surprise. But if Drew Sailor's down there working with him every day and Alex Zumwalt and the gang are down there working with him in practice, in you know pregame workouts, and then he goes out and plays in a game, You know, having worked with them all day, this is a great opportunity for him. He's got to go on the 40-man roster this offseason, or he's Rule 5 eligible. So I think if you're the Royals, what you're looking at is, if he goes down there to the Fall League and, and isn't very good, well, we can assume nobody's going to draft him, and then we can keep him for another year. If he goes down there and rakes, that's a great problem to have. You just add him to the 40-man roster. That's a no-brainer, right? Add him to the 40-man roster, start him at Double Triple A next year, and then he's a year and a half away from the big leagues. He's a year away from the big leagues. So I think it's just a matter of how he performs. I don't know what – I don't really know what I expect of him. I don't know if I should expect him to be good um, – I don't know at this point, he's, he's always hurt. And and some of that's not even necessarily his fault. I'm not even saying like he's injury prone. He just is, has been hurt very often and he has struck out a ton. So can you strike out less than 30% of the time this fall? Can you hit five home runs while you're down there? Show off the power, show a better approach at the plate. go ahead and swing and miss. Like there's, there's, I think a lot of times when we talk about guys who strike out a lot, we, we confuse two different ways that guys can strike out a lot. You have the Kalia Lee approach, which is I'm going to take every at-bat until I get two strikes, and then I'm going to try to swing. It's just bad plate discipline. Yeah, you're going to end up walking a lot because minor league pitchers don't throw a lot of strikes, but it's bad plate discipline. You have bad plate discipline where Bobby Witt Jr. found himself earlier this year was swinging at way too many pitches in general, and that's bad plate discipline. Then you have guys like Suley Matias who it doesn't really matter if you throw it down the middle of the plate or not. He just ain't going to hit it 20% of the time. He isn't. He's just going to swing and miss through strikes, through balls, whatever. So if you're Sully Matias, and we know we're just going to accept you're going to swing and miss quite a bit. Can we narrow down the grouping of pitches that you are going to swing at in the first place? Let minor league pitchers walk you. Let big league pitchers walk you. And then we're going to accept the 35% strikeout rate because you're going to swing and miss a lot. But as long as we can narrow down the, the group of pitches we're swinging at, We give ourselves a chance to hit a lot of home runs as well. So show an improved approach to the plate. Try to strike out less than 30% of the time. He got off to a great start today. He went one for four with a single and only one strikeout. 25%, baby. Keep it right there. 25% strikeout rate for the rest of the fall. I will be ecstatic. Hit five home runs while you're down there. Hit a couple doubles. I'll be rocking and rolling. We might even come on the podcast in December. Well, I might make an argument that he needs to be added to the 40-man roster before the rule five draft. I don't know when the, the end date is for that, but um, I think there's an avenue for him for that. And I, and I do 100% still think it's possible that he's a a, a good contributor for the big league team.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely think that's a possibility. I, I've been lower on Matias than, than a lot of guys at the site, but you, you can't argue with 80 grade anything, right? We have an 80 grade tool. Th- those are rare. And that's the kind of power that he has. So that's like, when we're talking about adding him to the 40 man, I don't see the Royals let an 80 grade anything get away from the organization because a team will take I I feel like a team would take a chance on Suley Matias because they see 80 grade power like some team would and try to take advantage of it and hide him on the bench, you know, give him 50 60 plate appearances in the big leagues do what uh, the Padres did a couple years ago with a a dude in the rule five can't remember his name, but gave him big league, gave him big league at-bats, like 50 or 60 big league at-bats, and he was down at high A the next year. Like, I just don't see the Royals letting a guy like that go purely because of the tools that are there. And the tool, I mean, the, the power speaks for itself. We, we, we've asked everybody that played with him, what did you like to watch BP? Like, that's the kind of stupid stuff that he does. And... I hope he goes down there and rakes and figures it out. And if there's anybody I trust right now to figure it out with these, these guys, it's Alex Zumwalt and Drew Saylor and what these guys, what they're able to do and what they've been able to do with many Royals prospects and the, the credit that they give them for their success this season. It speaks volumes. And if they're able to do that for Sully Matias and help him be a part of the big league club by 2023, son of a gun, man, they've, that is that's going to be incredible if they can manage to to get that, get those strikeouts down enough to where you can let the damage he does when he does hit the ball play and work.
1: So you mentioned his, you know, the, the tools and keeping the tools um, protecting him anyway on the 40 man roster. They love the kid too. And that's one thing about the Royals we talk about a lot for better or worse, they're invested in their people. And I think by the way, but for better or worse, like that's the human element of this. It's always better. For the baseball side of things, sometimes it can be worse in terms of like wins losses, but the Royals do a great job of protecting their people, and they love Suli. Suli, everything I've ever heard about Suli Matias is he's a great kid with a big heart who loves baseball, and if the Royals can find an excuse to protect a guy like that from the Rule 5 roster, from the Rule 5 draft, they'll add him to the 40-man roster to protect a piece of the family, right? That's a piece of the, the family of the Royals minor league team at the moment that they don't want to get away. I, I I would bet my life on that, that they're looking for an excuse to add him to the 40 man roster because of a, the tools, like you said, but B because of the person. And so, um, you know, I, I wrote Suley off as, as a potential keep looking back on that probably should not have done that Probably should have considered more than just, you know, the actual play on the field. I think there's a, there's a really good shot. He does get added to the four this off season and, Even if I disagree with that in terms of the player, probably should have thought about more of that as from the Royals point of view and and how they operate typically. So I kind of wrote that off earlier in the offseason or earlier in the season. Um, Probably ought to revisit that one as a guy who, even if we don't think he should be kept, if there's any sign that he has turned a corner in the fall league, he's probably going to get kept on the 40.
0: Yeah, I, I still remember just talking about the person that Sully is, and obviously we have never spoken to him, but from the stories that that other guys that played with him in, in low A, high A, double A, uh, I remember interviewing Vinny uh, right after Sammy was born, it was just Vinny and I. And I was talking about, you know, obviously Suli's power and BP and and Vinny goes, and I hope you don't like lose sight of the fact, like he is like the nicest dude ever. Like he comes to the ballpark and he's always laughing, got a smile on his face. He could have gone over four, with four strikeouts the day before. And he's always laughing, smiling, and, and always just a great presence in the locker room. And we we've talked about it for years. It's just the way the Royals operate and keeping guys like that high character dudes in the organization. Obviously Suli is one of those guys. And, with all of the the injuries and you know some of the lack of success over the last couple of years in spots they obviously haven't lost faith in him because they continue to run him out there every day as much as they can and they are going to keep him around and shoot if he has a good fall i it wouldn't shock me if he's on the 40 and i would almost like i'd be okay with it for the reasons that, that you mentioned as well all right so obviously the royals are not in the playoffs no kidding uh but there's still a lot of baseball to talk about I kind of want to break away from the Royals for, for just a little bit and just talk about what's going on in Major League Baseball right now. It's the hey, are you, up?
1: are you up for a little – have you seen Squid Game on Netflix yet? I have not. Oh, okay. So I want to talk about Squid Game on the other side of this break as well. I want to give people a reason to stick around. If you were only in it for the Royals talk and you're a big Squid Game person, uh, stick around on the other side of the ad break as well.
0: All right. We'll be right back. All right, Alex, so the ALCS is set, Astros and Red Sox. Game five of the NLDS between the, the Dodgers and the Giants is this. – it'll be on probably when this comes out, so obviously they will be set against whoever's playing the Braves, but what have been some of your overarching thoughts about what you have seen from the playoffs so far?
1: Haha, <laughs> <laughs> nerds suck. <laughs> no, Even I though
0: freaking... the Astros or Red Sox, <laughs> yeah.
1: Dude, I <clears> – <throat> And the the Giants and Dodgers like, are we really doing this? Like, are we are we really yeah going there? I, I it was a it was a Yankees fan that was talking about like the nerd haha nerds lose. It's oh, like, it
0: was it was fucking it was John Boy.
1: I know, yeah. I know, and it was like, it, dog a your team's at home, so maybe you should get a little nerdier. B the guy that runs the Red Sox came from the Rays, like he. Has what is a classics major from Yale, right? I mean, like that's that, yeah. that's a nerd. That's that's outstanding that he is running a baseball team. Like, what are we talking about? So, God Almighty, that that narrative drove me nuts when the Rays got beat. I was really hoping the Rays would win it, just so we could mushroom stamp everybody who kept saying "nerds suck, nerds suck" and just be done with it. So, whatever. Um, no, my 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 one the Astros offense is so good. Like, like I am not implying that they're cheating. I'm not, no. I'm not, I'm not, but they're so good that it feels like they have to be because top to bottom, that lineup just hits they don't have anybody in their lineup who can't hit except Martin Maldonado. And the other eight hits so well, they're just like, Hey, go catch. Don't even take it back to the plate. Just go catch, have fun, be a great catcher for us. And then the other eight guys will just rake for you. I know Ryan Tapera got all up in arms and, accused them of cheating again, they got caught cheating in the past. So let's not act like it would be totally ridiculous and clutch our pearls that somebody called out a team that was proven to have been cheating for cheating again. Like, let's not, let's not do that. Um, but at the same time, like if they're not cheating, like God almighty, man, I don't know how you get that many guys in your lineup hitting like that all at the same time. And it's guys like Jordan Alvarez was a great prospect at uh, eventually, but the Dodgers traded him for Josh Field. Like, the Dodgers missed that bad. Like, man alive. Their, their whole lineup hits. And so, like, I'm glad they're going to lose Carlos Correa in the free agency this offseason. Good. Like, there's, there's just one less MVP candidate you have in your lineup every single year. So, the, the Astros have continued to impress me. I really thought the White Sox would give them a run. They did not. Um, I, I'll tell you what the Red Sox have impressed me, too. More so the pitching staff. I did not expect the pitching staff to give them a chance. I thought the Rays would handle them in, in three or four games. And the, the pitching staff really has given Boston a chance. Nate Aivaldi was just built to pitch in October. That dude is incredible. I, I love watching him pitch. He was incredible to watch against the Rays. Um, in the NL, man, I got to tell you, the, the rivalry between the Dodgers and the Giants is outstanding. And and to see it come to a climax here in Game Five the ALDS tomorrow like like I'm not gonna lie like I will during the regular season I would rather watch Thursday night football than like some at random MLB game that's not the Royals on TV like I'm I'm that guy um, mostly because I missed football and it's the end of the MLB regular season and it's like I'll get I've watched baseball all summer I'm gonna see the playoffs here in a couple of weeks so during the regular season. I'm more of a Thursday night football guy than random MLB game guy, but tomorrow there's going to be a good Thursday night football game on, in my opinion, as long as Tom Brady plays, it's like, I'm going to have two screens going. I'm going to have the baseball game on the big TV because that game should have priority over every Thursday night football game on the slate. I don't care if it is LA and Seattle. I don't care if it is the chiefs and the chargers. What we're getting ready to watch on Thursday night with the Dodgers and the Giants in game five after the regular season they had came down to one game should be on the top of everybody's watch list. And the fact that it's not going to be on the top of everybody's watch list, as much as I like Thursday night football, there's no shot that's going to be on my TV while Dodgers and Giants is on. And the fact that that's not going to be kind of universal is a huge problem with Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball is so bad at selling their product. That you have two of the best teams in in recent baseball history that are going that had a had a, they finished the regular season one game apart in the division. Now they're playing each other in the AL, NLDS game five. Like this should be a like, huge across America, and it's going to be Tom Brady beats Jalen Hurts on Thursday Night Football in week six. That's what's going to get all the headlines on ESPN, and it's entirely Major League Baseball's fault.
0: So uh, I'll start in the, kind of where you left off Dodgers giants, like, God, those games are always appointment television for me. And I'm, and I am random baseball guy. Like I will go and watch a random game just because I like the pitcher or whoever is, you know, in the middle of an order for pick a team. Like I want to watch that guy. And I've doubted the giants all year. I, I was saying into the end of September, like I, I was dying on the hill. Like the Dodgers are still going to win the division. Like it doesn't matter. Like it's cool. The Giants' cool story. The Dodgers are still going to win it, and the Giants just kept winning and kept winning and kept winning with one of the oldest lineups, if not the oldest lineup in baseball, and a bunch of who the heck is this guy or reclamation projects in their rotation, and then dudes like Camilio Duval who come out and be like who the heck is this guy throwing 101 with disgusting sliders, and I. I hadn't really tuned into a ton of Giants games. Honestly, if I'm watching a West Coast game, I was watching the Dodgers, the Angels, Mariners, or the Padres. Like, I'd never really tuned into the Giants much because I was inevitably waiting for them to fall off, so I didn't really care. I didn't realize how good Logan Webb is. That dude is throwing 97-mile-an-hour bowling balls up there and just shoving and has all year. I was listening to the to starting nine and they said, and you can take this for what it is, but the Giants are 22 and five in his starts this year. Like that tells you how good he has been all year long. It's, it's incredible what the Giants have been able to do. I still think the Dodgers get him tomorrow, but that doesn't take away from how awesome the Giants were over the course of the full season with Red Sox and Rays. I obviously wanted the race to win. I picked the race to win the world series and the red and the Red Sox completely surprised me the fact that I even made the playoffs with how poorly they played in, in spots this year, uh, especially after the all-star break. But I hope that people will still realize that Wander Franco is a superstar. Now that dude is 20 doing the things he did the 43 game on base streak going into the playoffs, did one of only five players in baseball history to be 20 years or younger with multiple home runs in a playoff series. I don't like Jeff Passon said, he's 20. He's already one of the top 25 players in baseball. That's not crazy. Like, I think he might even be close to top 20. And the fact that his floor is probably what he's doing right now like, a dude that hits about 280 with, I I don't know what his weighted runs Creative Plus is, probably right around 115, 120, maybe a little less. The fact that that's his floor, good God, folks, like, we're in for watching just another guy that's going to be part of this youth movement in baseball. That is making, you know, that's going to be part of that next generation of elite, amazing players. And he's playing for the friggin' Tampa Bay race. who are probably going to trade him in his third year because he's going to make too much money in arbitration.
1: You just hurt my soul a little bit. <laughs> I, the thing You're is, I hate say it. saying it. And what
0: sucks is, and like, it's the weird, like, conundrum with the race. And I can't think of that. That might not be the right word for the scenario, but it's just what they do. And they're going to trade Tyler Glass now and, like, two other guys. You're like, why the hell are you trading him? And then they're going to go and win 97 games next year with whoever the heck they got it from those trades. Like, it just doesn't make sense. What I have t- stopped trying to figure out the Tampa Bay Rays and just enjoy watching them play because they're such a damn good baseball team.
1: You know what it reminds me of? This is a horrible example, but here's where my brain's at right now. <clears throat> it's kind of like, have you ever been to, like – um Key West or some like tourist trap area where you have people who are doing magic. They're like magicians on the side of the street. Right. And they're really good at whatever it is they're doing. Maybe it's a card game. Maybe it's, you know, um, look at the ball over here and oh it's in my left hand. The guy, Oh, it's in your pocket. Um, I got your watch, right? Whatever it is that they're doing, they're trying to sell you on. They are masters at, and then you take that same trick home and you get it out and you're trying to do the trick and it's just not working. It's not working. It's not working. You're eight years old. You end up throwing it away. Right. Um, uh, don't ask me if that story came from personal experience or anything. Um, but in all seriousness, that's like, that's like their trap. That's what they're trying to do. Hey, look how cool this thing is. When in reality, it's just the, that's what their skill is. They've gotten really good at doing this one trick. And then even if you could master that trick, like it, it, it's value is only how many people you can show at one time? Because after the first time, it's not that cool anymore, right? So think about that 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 type of magic trick that you could sell to somebody. That's what the Rays are doing. Hey, give us your broken pieces. Look how cool we are at making them be really good. Look how awesome we made Tyler Glass now. Trick you into thinking that as soon as you take Tyler Glass now home, he will continue to be as good as he's been, knowing that he won't be. Taking three more Tyler Glass nows from you making them Tyler Glass now at the big league level, selling them for three more Tyler Glass nows. And now we've turned one Tyler Glass now into nine because they just keep turning it over. Look at Blake Snell. Look how awesome Blake Snell is. He's great. And as soon as they trade him, he's just kind of pretty good. Like he wasn't the Cy Young candidate we saw in Tampa Bay. He wasn't the elite all-star starter we saw in Tampa Bay. They just sold you a product that was a mirage of the system they've developed that you thought could be the same player that he was when he was in Tampa Bay, you get him out of Tampa Bay, now they can't do that anymore. So um, anyway, I think it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting scheme they're running. If the Tampa Bay Rays ever called me, if I was running a baseball team, they ever called me and said, hey, we'd like to talk about a trade, I just hang up. I don't want to know who you're calling about. I don't want to know who you want to send me. I don't don't care. I'm hanging up the phone because I'm going to lose. I'm going to get fleeced. I'm going to get run, um, hoodwinked, bamboozled. I don't want anything to do with that conversation. You win. You can go deal with somebody else, but I'm not dealing with you. So um, you mentioned that the Tampa Bay Rays would trade Wander Franco. I would give that only a 50% chance of happening. Now, could the Montreal Rays trade Wander Franco? Maybe, but I don't know if the Tampa Bay Rays will still be a thing by the time they go to trade.
0: It's almost like just talking about like trading with the Rays. It's one of those, like, I, I wouldn't hang up the phone. I'd be like, okay, what do you know that I don't? And that's kind of how it feels. Like they, in the middle of the season trade, their starting shorts up. I know they had Wanda Franco coming up, but they trade Willie Adamas to the Brewers for Drew Rasmussen and J.P. Fyreisen. And it's like, what do you do? Okay. Pitching process. It's like, okay, what do you know that I don't? And then they turn J.P. Fyreisen into one of the best friggin' like middle rotation guys in the sport. It's like, what what are we doing here? Like it should not be this simple. That's the, well, that's it, the wild thing.
1: The irony of that trade is Willie Adamas went to Milwaukee. It was like a, it was really good. Well, it's because <laughs> wait he a minute, whoa, 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 whoa! You're telling me the Rays couldn't get the most out of you?
0: Well, he's he he's talked about. It. He said I could not see the ball in Tampa playing in the dome. Like his career stats at home, he had like a buck seventy in the trop, and like two fifty or two sixty everywhere else.
1: That's interesting.
0: So he's not having to play 81 games in a white dome with a white plate where you play a game with a white ball. (laughs) You could could actually see the ball for the whole whole time.
1: I hadn't thought about that. I I hadn't heard that. I I mean, I hadn't thought about that possibility. I hadn't heard him say that. So now that we're down to the final almost four, we got two in the AL, five in the – or three in the NL right now. Who are you taking? So – You said you got the Dodgers tomorrow. I'm taking the Giants at home. I'm riding Logan Webb and the Giants at home. I've got the Giants edging out the Atlanta Braves. I've got the Astros beating the Red Sox. And I've got the Giants beating the Astros in the World Series. What you got?
0: Yeah, I think the Astros are going to, like, dog walk the Red Sox. Like, that, that lineup is just, like you were talking about earlier, that lineup is just stupid. Like, Kyle Tucker, out of nowhere, became one of the best hitters in that lineup, if not the best. Just, I know, I know he had some, some prospect status, like he's been a you know, a top dude for a long time, but I never thought he was going to be that good, but, but, how disgusting his swing was and some, there were just some, something I'm like, I just don't know. He figured it out. Jordan Alvarez swings underwater and hits balls 440 feet. I know he's a, a huge dude, but come on, like, and then, oh yeah, you still have Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, and Yuli Gurriel, who won the batting title. It's, it got it. Oh, it's stupid. But, uh, yeah, so I – and, you know, kudos to the Red Sox for for beating the Rays, who I really thought were going to have an opportunity there. Uh, but, no, I think I think the Astros are going to win that one in, like, five games.
1: Yeah, that offense is – you're going to have to have an elite pitching staff to get through them, and the Giants have that, which is why I'm going with the Giants.
0: Yeah, and then speaking of lineups that bang, the Braves still do. I know they don't have Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Alves, Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, Dansby Swanson, but Jock Peterson in October, Jocktober. If Jorge Soler comes back, I know he got COVID, but you know if he comes back and, and is able to be something for that order, I think that's a deadly pinch hitter. You know, in, in a championship series, Adam Duvall, and don't sleep on their pitching. I mean, Max Freed has been ridiculous the last two months. Uh, Chuck.
1: Ian Moore, Anderson's been good.
0: Ian Anderson. Chuck Morton, you know what you're going to get from him in October. And then Oscar, you know, I know that he's a moron for punching a, a bench or whatever in the middle of the season when he was really good, but, and even like guys like Kyler Matsick And I know Will Smith is kind of funky, but th- they just figured it out in the middle of the season without their best player. And I think there, there is something to that where it's like, you know, we're going to rally behind and win this for our guy. Part of me wants to be contrarian and take it in and pick the Braves. But God, the giants have just done it all year and everyone has doubted them all year. And they just have continued to do it. I think that series does go seven. I want it. If, if max Fried gets the ball in game seven, I have a hard time picking against the Braves. I think if you get like an ad, Yeah.
1: I, I, I just I think the Dodgers, it. Like, But yeah. now, if it,
0: now if it's dot now if the Dodgers win, I've I've I said it in the preseason. Like I think the Dodgers. I'm picking the Dodgers over the field. Like they're just that good. And think about all the injuries they had and all of the attrition that they dealt with, and they still won 106 games. Like come on, like that that's a tough team to bet against. Right, if 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 it ends up going Giants Braves, I'm probably gonna pick the Braves in seven. If it's Dodgers, I'll go Dodgers in six. And then I think the, and then give, feed me all of the Dodgers Astros rematch, please.
1: Yeah, that would be a good storyline. I think the Giants pitching staff is so good. It's, it's crazy the staff they've assembled and like who is pitching well for them is also kind of funny. So yeah. Kevin um,
0: Gosman, Anthony Descalfani, Alex, Alex Wood. It's
1: just, it's so funny how yeah they've come together.
0: I know. And the the Dodgers, the Dodgers, like, it's just, it is what it is that, you know, and you you can, the fact they can still, they don't have Clayton Kershaw and Dustin May. They can still line up Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller and Julio Arias and Tony Gonsolin in a series like that's, it's stupid. And then you have Bruce R. Gratterall throwing 103 mile an hour bowling balls. That is,
1: that is crazy. That is the easiest 103 I've ever seen in my life. That is unbelievable. It makes no sense. It's, you watch him wind up it's like how does that ball move that fast out of that delivery
0: Yeah I, I remember I was talking to my wife and we were watching the game the other day and I said watch this dude pitch and she go and I was like yes how fast he's throwing and she's watching and she's like oh you know maybe 90 92 I'm like no that's 101 miles an hour <laughs> it's god I, that, that's the kind of dude that you want to find as a scout the dude that can just roll out of bed and just eh, a 102 with devastating run
1: yeah, we can teach that how to pitch. I can't teach you how to throw 102. I can teach you how to pitch. So that's it's been crazy to watch him, and and really he he kind of struggled for a while when he got to LA. Um, I mean, if you're gonna if you're the Twins, you're gonna trade a guy like that. Like there's there's reasons for it, and people wondered if his fastball even at 103 would would play because it's kind of inefficient the way it moved. And he's really found his found his stride with the sinker, and I, I'm happy for him because. That's kind of the irony of of baseball sometimes is you can throw 103 and get hit. Sometimes some of the best hitters in the world, it's crazy how good they are. So um, good to see him finding his stride there too.
0: Okay, so one more topic I was just thinking of. Like we all know who the, the AL MVP is going to be. Okay, whatever. NL MVP. Soto. I th- yes. Th- okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Because it's, I mean, the top three is going to be Fernando Tatis Jr., Bryce Harper, Juan Soto. I feel like like the nationals were so bad. Like, I don't think people realize until like the last two weeks of the year, like, oh, Juan Soto's hitting almost 330 with 30 homers, and he's and he has double the walks of strikeouts. Like,
1: yeah, so I'm a big Soto guy, but exactly. you just rattled off three guys who are probably gonna finish top in MVP. You know who led all of Major League Baseball in war this year, right? No, who? Trey Turner.
0: Oh, that's right. He did. Did he fi- was he finished with the highest F four? I thought it was Simeon.
1: Nope, Trey Turner six point nine. Trey Turner, very nice three. season. Nice. Yeah, so I had forgotten about that, and I was um, getting ready to bring him up as a potential candidate. I had forgotten he led all of baseball yeah. in F four. So th-
0: yeah, and it's crazy that I still think there's you know, just based on the numbers, I like, Tatis still has a really good chance to win MVP. But with the time he missed on the IL, I just don't think you can do it. Harper was really good. I just, God, what Juan Soto does, man, he's the best hitter in the sport. I still, like, I argued before the year that he was the second best player in baseball behind my drought. And I will still die on that hill, like, right now because of how good he was in the second half. And I think he has completely, like, not only killed the narrative of the home run derby, like, ruins your swing, he has dug up a six-foot grave, buried it, and then <laughs> taken it over. and because he he said it, the home run derby helped my swing because I was hitting too many ground balls, and then he goes out and just goes nuclear in the second half.
1: Yeah, I was actually just looking at him and Bryce Harper. If they if they chose Harper over Soto, I probably wouldn't complain too much. They're very similar. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, you're I'm not right. Yeah, lie. I'd I'd probably vote for. Now that I looked at the numbers again, probably Trey Turner, but Soto obviously deserves um, some consideration there as well. I want to get before we go. You said you hadn't seen Squid Game. So for anybody still listening that was that was waiting for my teaser to come back to Squid Game. If I'm I'm on episode five. I haven't even seen the whole thing. So I'm getting ready to start episode six um, later tonight. It is the best non-American show that I've ever watched. That list is not crazy long. But this show, I've got the English voice dubbed into the show instead of reading the closed captions. It doesn't bother me too much that way. Um, this show is incredible. It's some kind of wonderful mix of like, if you've seen the hunger games somewhere between the hunger games and like uh, black mirror. If you've ever seen those two shows? Black mirror is a show on Netflix. Hunger games is obviously the movie. It is incredible. I am. I am bought in on the characters. I'm bought in on the subplot of the show. Um, so episode five getting into episode six if you've seen it um is right when the detective uh, this isn't necessarily a plot spoiler the detective is still on the loose but things are starting to escalate um and it's just uh it's a very good concept of a show it's something that i am like some of my favorite things about television character development if i can buy into the characters can i get attached to the characters Plot twists, it feels like there's something coming that maybe they haven't let on just yet. Um, intensity, this entire show has been intense as hell. And then um, does it have like a good storyline? And there is a fantastic storyline. So if you haven't seen Squid Game, you said you haven't even seen Black Mirror. Black Mirror is creepy. There are some episodes on there. You get done watching it. It's like, I need to sell all of my belongings and move to the forest. Like, I don't want anybody to ever know where I am ever again. Um Anyway, the Squid Game is a really good kind of like elitist versus the poor type of conversation. Um, but anyway, really good, really good show. I'm bought in on Squid Game. As soon as I finish the show, I will be back um, on this podcast, and we will talk about it at the end of one of the, our next shows. But Joel, so you haven't seen it. So basically, what is what is happening is you have all these these people that are kind of in. So it's a Korean show. And you have all these people who are in massive amounts of debt and they get a call they get a phone a, a business card that basically says hey you can play these little kids games and we'll pay you money for it right so the first game they play is red light green light this isn't a spoiler this is kind of like the trailer um red light green light and they go out there they play the game and somebody doesn't freeze exactly when they're supposed to and they get shot so they they kill them if you lose but if you win, the prize is millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? So um, that's the that's kind of the, the charade they get stuck into, and then it kind of un- it kind of unravels from there. But a brilliant brilliant thesis. Uh, whoever did the voiceovers of like the vo- the dubbing of the English into the you know they're speaking Korean, but whoever dubbed the English in did a great job. Like normally that annoys me to no end. They did a good job on this show, so. I am bought in on Squid Game. I cannot wait to finish the show. And in a couple of weeks when we're back, we'll talk about it.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen, like, I'm on Twitter way too much. Uh, and I see all the memes and everything else. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, what is going on? So I, I might have to check it out. I'm not big on, on like, kind of dystopian, like, weird stuff like that. So I don't know how I feel about it. It's almost like Deadpool meets Hunger Games meets, I, I don't know. But kind of feels that way. Interesting. Okay. Now that I actually, yeah, you guys visit, you have
1: two weeks to watch them. You have two weeks to watch it. So we're going to talk about it in two weeks. Yeah, Cause
0: I, I need something like I real, like I realized now that like, I like, as my job is like crunching numbers and like sitting behind a computer all day. I'm like, and what do I do besides watch sports? Oh, I'm researching sports. What do I do besides that? Oh, I podcast about sports. Like what, like I have no hobbies outside of sports. I need something else besides sitting around drinking craft beer. I need something else to do. <laughs>
1: You got the official hipster look going on. You got your you got your gaming chair, you got the beard, the beanie, the the craft beer. That is like uh I'm like looks every- like, you look like someone you look like someone who's from Seattle right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I look like every like craft beer <laughs> meme you've ever seen in your life right now. And this is great radio considering this is an <laughs> audio only show. But I, I don't know. I'll I'll figure something out. I might like I think the one thing I'm going to do pretty soon is go back and rewatch Peaky Blinders because I took a significant break between season two and season three and then watching season and then I watched season four. So I kind of broke it up between like two seasons. Then it took like three months and then I watched three and four. I need to watch it all the way through again. Cause that's such a damn good show. If you've never seen the two like that, if you need just like a good like testosterone just like man show with just like gangster stuff. Like that's, that's a show to watch. That, that is the top
1: of my list. As soon as I finish Squid Game, Peaky Blinders is the top of my list. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to get met with in 24 days, uh, Yellowstone, season four is out. So yeah, I've,
0: Okay, and that's one I need to watch because I've never seen – I haven't watched season one, so I need to – That
1: is it. one of the best I, – I, I've always kind of run with the idea that the best shows I've ever seen are Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead. Those are two of the best television shows I've ever seen. They are incredible. Yellowstone is right up there with them and I know it's early. So Yellowstone has a chance to ruin it and, and be taken off that pedestal. It is an absolutely incredible show. I mean, it is, it's not for everybody. Like everybody has their own opinions, but in terms of like the best shows I've seen, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, Yellowstone are all kind of on the same tier for me.
0: I'm really bad. I think this is just a general thing about like my personality. I'm really bad about finding new shows to watch and like diving into a new show to watch. Like I watch the trailer and I'll watch one episode and it's like, eh, and then I move on. And I never like, I know it's always that oh, you got to get past the first episode. Like I get that. I've never been that guy. And I think that's just my personality, like my neurotic personality that like, I have to really be fully invested in, like just take a dive and just get into it. And I've never been able to do that. I agree. Well, this has been a ton of fun because we took a couple of weeks off again. Let us know. Give us ideas, topics, something like we'll, we'll do like random stuff. Like I, I don't really care. Whatever you guys want to hear. Like we'll, we'll do. It. We can do a Chiefs podcast for all I know and just vent about how terrible this team is for the most part. So. I was going to
1: ask you if we could do that.
0: A, a, a little. Uh, what is it? Uh, what does what Kent call it? The Chiefs Divis.
1: Yes, we need to get Kent. Kent will come on the show. Yeah, I'll out to on- okay. we'll See if he'll come out on the show.
0: Okay. Yeah. We, we might we might turn into a Chiefs podcast for one episode just to to air our grievances because. oh woof! i i know that like there have been some awful teams in the past and like even like in this decade and like in the past like decade and a half like i know there's been some bad football but i think and i think it says how much about expectations have changed in the patrick mahomes era that like this team is terrible but really like they're good i think at the end of the day like they're still going to end up being fine but good god you can't get dog walked at home on prime time Oh.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to listen to this team. is terrible talk. So I was thinking about the other day, like I I literally was reading something. Adam Teicher is like my least favorite football person alive. Like I think Adam Teicher is like fits the media narrative of like if I say something ridiculous and people will pay attention to me. So he was talking about the Chiefs being bad, uh, legitimately like a bad football team. And the, if the Cleveland Browns punter didn't fumble a snap, the Chiefs would be one and four it's like okay if Clyde doesn't fumble in field goal range the Chiefs are three and two and if Clyde doesn't fumble against Chargers maybe they're four and one it's like all these other things like they're it's been a little fluky it's been five weeks I think the Chiefs can be fine um but the Bills game man I think that game the the box score would tell you differently but the feel that game had when we intercepted Josh Allen, it was called call off because of a roughing the passer. That game didn't feel like a blowout. It was an 11 point game with 11 minutes left. And it felt like, uh Oh, like you could just, you could feel the bills fans puckering up a little bit. It's like, here we come. Here comes Patty. And then, you know, roughing the passer we can get into that another time though because we've been rambling on here for about 30 minutes
0: yeah I, I admittedly did not watch the second half of the uh the bill season i was so tired and i was like yeah i'm just not going to do this i'm not going to put myself through this and I, i'll wake up hoping to a win i woke up at two in the morning went oh let's see how it went saw 38 20 and just laid staring at the ceiling for like 30 minutes like what the <laughs> all right well hopefully Oklahoma State beats Texas this weekend make me a little happy and yeah, yeah, we, we we can go horns down. We'll we'll take the fifteen yard penalty from our couches.
1: <laughs> that might be the most Texas Tec- thing. in the Texas Entire. world. Texas is
0: the most charming, soft like football <laughs> program in college football.
1: I really need you guys to beat them on Saturday. No, I-, I, I don't want to hear the Texas back narratives on next week.
0: No, like I- I'm okay with catching Texas after a soul crushing loss to their biggest rival. Like I'm totally fine with that. Like I, and like, I can't stand either school. Like I don't like university of Oklahoma. I don't like the university of Texas, but red river is always awesome. That was an amazing game. And my God, it was fantastic. Watching check Texas choke, but at the same time, Oh, you found their quarterback. And now I'm like, son of a, Caleb Williams is going to dog walk us in bedlam. And I'm not ready for that. Even though, even though I see it every year, it doesn't make it any easier. That's a a story for another time. Thank you all for listening and listen to us ramble for an hour This is what the offseason is going to be like. So strap in, enjoy, and we'll talk to you all next week.